You're glad you're in church this morning? Amen. All right, good. I'm not the only one then, eh? Uh, Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 21. We're going to look at a passage of scripture that's interesting. In the middle of it, we have a wonderful explanation of the gospel. And I trust the Lord speaks to our hearts through it this morning. If you'll follow along as I read Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs. We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, so that we, too, who put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. If while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could, gain, could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing." I heard that there were two robbers that went into a delicatessen outside of Boston, Massachusetts, one of the small towns. They pulled out their guns and demanded money from the owner who was standing behind the cash register. The owner opened the cash register, put all the money in a brown paper bag, sent it, set it up on the counter in front of him, between him and the robbers. They grabbed the bag on the counter, fled, and a while later when they were in a safe place, they opened up to see what they had. They had two sandwiches. They grabbed the wrong bag. In the area on what it takes for a man or a woman or a young person to be saved... There are two choices, if I can say two bags to go along with that little humorous story. The bag of grace 
are the bag of legalism and religion. You grab the wrong bag, you're going to be disappointed. The legalism bag has with it a, a list of things you are to do. Deeds you are to perform in order to be saved. You, you basically have to look good on the outside. But when one looks at legalism very carefully, you will notice that certain things are missing. Specifically, joy and peace and contentment. Legalism is slow torture, someone said. I don't know who to give that quote to. Because it robs an individual of any kind of contentment or security that they could have when they're tied to legalism. If you're bound to legalism, you have a form of religion. But you will find you have no nourishment. There's nothing solid for you to hang on to. No vitamins, no excitement. Just a diet of rules, regulations, and you will starve spiritually. Now on the other hand, there's the other bag I'll call grace, and no disrespect. Grace has no rules. There's no codes to follow, no rituals to take place, no price to pay. Grace is an invitation from the heart of God to the one who accepts the truth and believes the truth and receives salvation. That invitation is very simple. It can be found many places. I just chose to go to John chapter 3, verse 36. It says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. It's very simple. In that bag of grace, there's joy. There's spiritual health. There's forgiveness for yourself and forgiveness towards others. There's assurance of eternal life. You got two choices, legalism or grace. And that was a problem there at the churches in Galatia. There was a choice between legalism that came in the form of Judaizers that had come from Jerusalem. Or the other choice was God's grace, which is what Paul taught, which was the gospel message. The Judaizers offered up an old, dead religion, a religion of works, a religion of efforts, a religion that taught you had to be following certain rules and there had to be, of course, goodness in your life. Grace offers a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and the finished work that he did on the cross. That choice still happens today. Quite honestly, that's a choice in front of you this morning. A choice, legalism, grace, religion, grace. Verse 12 here tells us, and I'm just pointing this out for information's sake, says they came from James, which means they came from Jerusalem. But if you were here last week, you know that last week, verses 1 through 10, which we looked at, had already settled the issue between legalism and grace. 
Paul and James and Peter and John all stood in agreement with Paul and Barnabas about what the gospel was. But somehow these men that came from Jerusalem came saying they came from James were men that must have had prestige and were looked up to because Peter, when they came there, Peter even backslid himself. Look at Peter's conduct there in verses 11 through 14. When Peter came to the church there at Antioch for a visit, he had no problem associating with the Gentiles. He had no problem of sharing a meal with them, of being together in fellowship. Obviously, Peter had eaten with the Gentiles. And from what the Lord had taught him earlier, which we found in the book of Acts, uh, and we're going to turn to that here in a second, Acts chapter 10, verses 34 and 35, it says this. Let me explain the background before I read this. The Lord told Peter to go to Cornelius, a Gentile, and give him the gospel. And he did that by an illustration of a sheet coming down with, quote-unquote, unclean animals in it. And the Lord said to him, eat. And Peter says, not a chance. And the Lord said to him, what I declare is clean, is clean. Now I have a mission for you. Go to Cornelius. Now that's my translation. You can read it later if you would. But here's the conclusion, verse 34. Then Peter began to speak, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You see, Peter learned the lesson that there was no respecter of persons with God. And so here he, again, after that affirming, as we looked at last week, that what the gospel was and, 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 and how to associate with Gentiles... Here these men came, they had to be influential, that even Peter now is guilty of inconsistent behavior. By his actions, he was negating the gospel. And Peter took a position he knew he was, where he was wrong. And Paul took him to task. The problem of eating with Gentiles. See, even if he was still eating kosher food. It was wrong for a Jew to sit at a table with Gentiles eating food that would have been considered unclean because by sitting with them at a same table and fellowshipping with them, you're giving approval of who and what they are. And Peter, being fearful here, as the text says, drew back, associated only with the Jews. Peter already had learned the lesson of the freedom in Christ. That your heritage and your background, your genealogy didn't matter. Your religion had no influence on the gospel. And, Paul, and Peter knew he could associate and eat with the Gentiles. And in many ways, the Jewish laws no longer applied to him because they were of the old way. Now, let me say something here for a moment. Let's not be harsh on Peter. Because he's not really 
that much different than we are. Is it not true that in your own life, there are times when you are bold and courageous in your faith, and you'll stand up, uh, as somebody said, I'll go into hell with a water pistol. Uh, You're just that way. And then the next day or even the next hour, something happens and you stumble and you compromise and you become fearful. You've been there, don't have to raise your hand. I know you have if you're human like me. Peter was afraid, the text tells us there in verse 12. Fear took hold of him and he was afraid of what these Judaizers were going to think of him and would say. And so he wanted to please these false teachers knowing he was wrong and in doing so he became a hypocrite. He was promoting a false religion at that point in time. Now to make matters worse, the rest of the Jews followed him because he was the leader. Text even says Barnabas, who understood very clearly the truth because he was with Paul so long, even Barnabas was led astray. Oh, there's one great lesson for us here, folks. An act of disobedience can lead other people astray. One of the great tragedies of the church today are the hypocrites in the church. Those who keep compromising the truth. I don't know how many people have come to me or said to me over the years. My mom, my dad is a Sunday Christian. They're different at home than they are at church. They put on their good suit for Sunday. Get all dressed up. But they're a different person at home. Oh, how important it is for us to be exactly the same that we are here in worship hour on Sunday morning and any other time we gather together and be that same person Sunday afternoon and Monday and through the rest of the week. I'll never forget hearing Dr. J. Vernon McGee fine Presbyterian preacher, long, long time ago, went to heaven. Heard him say one time at, when he was pastoring the Church of the Open Door in California, he needed to speak of one of the leaders and elders in his church. And this man had a business, and he, of course, knew where the business was at. And so he decided to just go down and talk to him. And, and Dr. McGee says when he walked in the building, uh, he heard a voice that was just spewing out profanities and just uh, horrendous language. But he realized it was the man who was the elder in his church. The owner of the business before the men who were working for him. And Dr. McGee said, I quickly forgot the business that I wanted to talk to him about. I looked him straight in the eye and said, Either you will resign from your position on Sunday or you will repent on Sunday before the church. We cannot be a hypocrite and be effective in this world. If you're going to be a godly man of God, be a godly man of God. Don't put on a front. If you're going to be a woman of God, be a woman of God. If you're going to be a mother of God, be a woman, a mother of God, a father. Let your kids know that you're the same at home. That you are at church. 
Now, I just want to say something else on that. Thankfully, there is forgiveness. Now, none of us live perfectly. Do not misunderstand me. I was raised in a denomination that taught sinless perfection, and I found out it's not real. But let's face it, when we do become hypocritical and compromise and become afraid, damage can be done, and some of that damage will never, ever be undone. Roger was talking about his dad shot a nail in his finger or a hand or whatever that led him to go to the hospital. And it reminded me yesterday of uh, when I was in construction, uh, the end of my index finger on my left hand has very little feeling in it. I can remember the day I clobbered it with a hammer and as we said in the construction business, knocked the snot out of it, okay? I can tell you I could take you to the place, okay? Better than 20 years ago. But that reminds me every time, this finger reminds me every time of what happened. And that damage can't be undone. It just can't be undone. And when we act in a hypocritical manner, the damage that we do cannot be undone. Church, I'm just going to assume everyone here today knows the Lord as Savior. I'm just going to make that assumption. If you know Him as your Savior, live like it this afternoon, tomorrow, and the rest of the week. Don't be a different person at church or around Christian people than when you're at work or play or school or wherever. You see, the faith that we have in Jesus Christ to save us, that same faith enables us to live out our salvation daily. 1 Corinthians 1.8 says, He will keep you strong to the end. He, referring to the Lord, leaning on Him. We all need the Lord every day of our life, and we need to be faithful. We need to lean on Him. Take what He's given us. And apply it to our life so that every day of our life speaks volumes that we are a Christian and proud of it. Here Peter was not acting according to the gospel. And and Paul confronted him. And I like what he did here. He did so and he did it publicly because what he was doing was public. He was hurting the church. He was hurting the testimony of the church. And because that sin was so public, he confronted him in public. Because everybody could see what he was doing, and Paul was correcting him in front of everybody, saying, you are not living the faith. You are living a hypocritical life. Peter needed a reminder that Jews and Gentiles alike were equal in God's sight, and there was no difference. There was no need to separate the two. The gospel is not just what we believe, but the gospel is what we live The the gospel dictates how you and I think. It it dictates how we talk. It dictates on how we treat others. The gospel, when received, makes us new. We become a new creation, the scriptures tell us. That's why I love the term talking about being saved as being born again. There's a spiritual birth. We are a different person. 
We are changed from the inside out. We become a better person, a better citizen. And Paul's words to Peter here that you, a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile, those words cut deep into him because he was realizing how inconsistent he was there in front of these people. And Peter was the one who had said there was no distinction between us and them, Acts chapter 15, 9, which we looked at last week. Well, let me just kind of sidetrack here for a minute, take a time out, take a little detour. What do we learn from Peter's failure here? Well, one is that godly leaders can fall. Don't put godly leaders on a pedestal. I read of one this week who had fallen and no longer considers himself a Christian. We can make serious errors and sin. Having right doctrine doesn't necessarily make us have right behavior. We can compromise. Our stance has to be built upon the Word of God. I love that one song that we sang there. I don't think we ever sang it before, but it was as we stand on, on God's Word. And when false teaching does come, it needs to be dealt with. Well, as we travel on here, he talks about, again, I think it's a very important verse, verse 16, justification. It's a beautiful verse. In a sense, it's a gospel in one verse here. Let me just read verse 16 again if you don't have it in front of you. It says, Know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law because by observing the law no one will be justified. The word justified means to be declared righteous. The simple translation or interpretation is just as if I've never sinned. When we are declared justified, it's what God does in us. He declares the person who believes on Jesus Christ, righteous. The sinner saved by grace, as Brother Steve was singing a short moment ago. Paul was correcting Peter in front of those Judaizers about the truth of the gospel. And that truth is good for you and me, no matter who we are. You and I are justified by our faith in what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And it happens instantaneously the moment we realize we are a sinner. The moment we realize we are separated from God because of our sin. And we repent and accept by faith what Jesus did on that cross for our salvation. We are saved. I've said it before and I'll say it again when we give an invitation here and it's always open for someone to walk the aisle and publicly profess that they've become a Christian. But you don't come become a Christian because you walk the aisle and we said a prayer, which we will do and have done. But the moment you were convicted in your heart that you were a sinner and you said in your heart, Lord, I trust you and that will happen while you're sitting in your pew. When you said, say that, that's the moment you became a Christian. That's the moment you were justified. Not because you said a certain prayer, but it's because you believed the truth. God is the one who justifies. He justifies by His grace. 
And that grace puts our sins upon Jesus Christ there on the cross. And we receive Christ's righteousness. The Bible tells us our righteousness is nothing but filthy rags. But when we receive Christ as Savior, we are declared righteous in the eyes of God. We are declared not guilty. You glad of that? Our past is literally forgotten and to be remembered no more. Let me turn back to Romans chapter 4, verses 6 through 8 here for a moment. David says that the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sins the Lord will count, never count against him. Never count against us. They're not remembered any longer. We are no longer condemned. We are no longer separated from God because of what Christ did when we believe on Him as Savior. One who goes back to legalism denies the truth. Well, when we learn of all of this, that the hypocrisy and then that we're justified by faith in Christ through God's grace, how are we to live? Well, he answers that at the end of the text this morning. Verse 20 specifically. He says, by identifying with Jesus Christ, we died with him on that cross. We died to the law that day. And now we are free from the law and free from condemnation. Because Paul here says, I have been crucified with Christ. What he's saying is that the effects of Christ on that cross and dying for everyone who would trust him, we were there. Our sins were put upon him on that cross. The results of Christ's crucifixions count for me, they count for you if you are trusting Jesus this morning. You have died in Christ. We've all received the benefits of what Christ did on the cross. Do you realize he died in your place? Do you realize that you and I will never experience what they call the second death, which is spiritual death, which is separation from God forever and ever? The book of Rome, uh, Revelation chapter 20, verse 14 and 15 says, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That's the second death, a continual forever and ever in hell. But Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. He died for my sins. I literally was there with Christ on that cross. I died to the law that day. I'm now free in Christ. I have been crucified. He's saying, my rights as an individual have been crucified. I am now in control of the Holy Spirit. I have died with Christ and been raised to newness of life. When you... Say, I have been crucified with Christ. You're saying that Christ's crucifixion counts for me. I can accept it. I no longer live then, but Christ lives in me. When, when Paul was saying here that Christ lives in me and I no longer live, he was saying, I am no longer in control of my life. I am no longer in control of my actions and the words I speak. 
I am no longer in control of, of myself because I am now under the leadership and guidance of God through the Holy Spirit. We stop making excuses for our sins. We submit ourselves to Christ. The Holy Spirit comes and, and lives within me. He, he lived within Paul. He lives within you if you know Christ as Savior. He leads us. He is the one that opens our minds to the truth. He is the one that opens our hearts and our eyes to His plan and purpose for us. Then he goes on and says, In the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. This is new life in Christ. We trust Him. We become obedient to Him. We are faithful to Him. I'm no longer the man I used to be. If you know Christ as Savior today, you're no longer the individual you were before you met Christ. Some of you who received Christ as Savior later in life have a long list of things that you could mention that God did wonderfully for you when you were saved. You're not that same person. So let me ask a question to you as we end this morning. Do you know that you've been saved by God's grace? Do you know that? Are you relying on anything else, anything else for your salvation than what Jesus Christ did on the cross so that you could have salvation? Are you trying to mix some form of legalism with grace? Do you think you're earning some merit with God because of your religious works or your rituals? Salvation is found in nothing else and no one else. Acts 4.12 says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Do you know Jesus this morning? Have you turned to Him in faith? Trust Him. Because if you're trusting anything else, you're missing spiritually what God wants for you. And that's new birth. And to live for Him from now until the end of eternity, which there never is, to the end of time. Let's pray. Father, I just want to say thank you for these few minutes we've had together today. Thank you that you have been so faithful to us and so good to us. Father, I just ask if there is someone here today and with the number that we have, I would have to say there are people here today that do not have a relationship with you. I trust your spirit has been speaking to their heart. That they just need to turn from whatever they're leaning on now to the finished work of Christ on the cross. You so graciously offer them today. Give them the courage to do that. And as we stand and sing, give them the courage to stand in front of this congregation today to say, I am a Christian and a follower of Christ today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.